Hello, weary internet travelers, and welcome once again to the Before and After Show. I'm still your host, MJ Smith, and after a brief hiatus, I am back with an after episode. I hope you enjoyed last week's um, sort of Oscars debrief and my thoughts on Birdman and sort of superhero films in general. Uh, It's still available on the SoundCloud page if you haven't listened to it yet. It's a lot different format than the show. It's just sort of what I thought about the Oscars this year and the winners and um, specifically the the film Birdman, which I happened to see the day before it won Best Picture. Yeah, uh, so this is a regular episode of the show. If it's your first time listening, what the format of the show usually is, is I take a film that I've never seen before. I give you an episode with my expectations of it. And the next week I give you an episode after I've watched the film with what I actually thought about it. So this week I was doing The Sting, um, and you'll find out what I had to say about that. But before we get into it, I will do a little recap of what I saw this last week. I haven't watched much this week. I did see uh, Birdman, which was talked about in the last episode. And I also saw uh, American Sniper, which was one of the films nominated for Best Picture. I didn't get a chance to see everything that was nominated quite uh, yet. Uh, I still have Selma, Whiplash, and The Theory of Everything to see before I will have seen all eight uh, Best Picture nominees this year. But I saw American Sniper at the time of this recording yesterday, and I liked it. It didn't have a lot going for it, but I liked it. Now, It's a very controversial film. It's a film about the man credited with the most confirmed kills in U.S. military history as a sniper. It's well into the hundreds, I'm not sure which, I think something like 163, somewhere around there. But he did four tours of duty in Iraq, and he came back and he suffered pretty heavily from some PTSD, and then he wrote a book after his fourth tour of duty when he came back permanently and began doing work with veterans of foreign wars, sort of helping them rehab and and integrate back into society, which is very important. Um, He wrote this book called American Sniper, and it was all about his experiences over the course of his four tours. He, unfortunately, was killed at a shooting range by a man suffering from PTSD that he was trying to help out. He took him to the shooting range to sort of get him back into the habit of, uh, you know, shooting normally, like just for fun, not really thinking about people um, when you're shooting. And he had sort of a the snap and he killed Chris Kyle and a another man that he was with. It's a sad story. This is in 2013 that that happened. We just passed, I think the one year of it, I think it happened in early February of 2013. So Clint Eastwood and Bradley Cooper bought the rights to the book. Um, several people were involved before that. Steven Spielberg was at one point uh, attached to direct, but that fell through. Clint Eastwood came and directed it. Clint Eastwood movies for some reason, Always get nominated for Best Picture. Always get nominated for Acting. The thing is, Clint Eastwood's not, like, a great director in his later years. I mean, I know he, Unforgiven is great. Now, while Josie Wales is great. But the, the he usually pumps out two to three movies a year. He shoots really, really fast. Million Dollar Baby was shot over, like, 14 days or something crazy. And I, I think this shot over two months, which is insane because there's a it's a long movie. It's, a, like, two hours and 15 minutes or something. And, you know, he shoots on a really crazy schedule. Unfortunately, that means he doesn't get a lot of takes. Unfortunately, that means he's forced to edit with what he has. And what he has sometimes isn't very good. 
He can draw performances out of actors really well, I think because he's an actor himself, but he can't stage anything for his life. Um, the action in in American Sniper is really stilted. I know it's not an action film. I know that's not the point of the film, but there was nothing really exciting happening. Um, there's a couple tense moments with him as the sniper, but if you compare it to something like Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker, where every single um, bomb defusal scene is just like the height of intensity, it's kind of lacking in that um, in that regard. It's very much an exploration of Chris Kyle as a, as a person dealing with PTSD and um, his sort of road to recovery after his four tours of duty. And as that, it works incredibly well. Most of that doesn't have to do with uh, Clint Eastwood. A lot of the blocking is really bad in the movie. The script is mediocre at best. Um, there's some really ham-fisted dialogue in it, particularly in the beginning with Chris Kyle's father. Whether or not he said those things, I don't really know if he did. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend anyone, but <laughs> the script was was not there a lot of the time. What sold it was the performances by Bradley Cooper and Sienna Miller. Bradley Cooper is fantastic in this movie, and I almost don't understand why he didn't win Best Actor this year for uh, the Oscars over Eddie Redmayne. It's my favorite performance I've seen out of the the, the films that were nominated for Best Actor. Um, I think Bradley Cooper deserved it more. He is completely transformed into Chris Kyle. Um, there's a pretty famous interview Chris Kyle, the real Chris Kyle, did with Conan, uh, I think two days right before he died. And that kind of made the rounds as the movie came out. And I saw that before I saw the movie, and then watching the movie, Bradley Cooper completely changed into Chris Kyle. The beard he grew looked exactly like him. He bulked up to something like 225 pounds or something crazy. Um, I read on IMDb that at one point he had... He was deadlifting 450 pounds or something, and there's a scene in the movie where they show him deadlifting, and he was using real weights in that scene, even though the crew was like, uh, you don't, you don't gotta do that, man, we have fake weights, and he was like, no, I'm good, and, uh, he was just so committed to the role, and his performance is fantastic, he plays Chris Kyle as a really complex guy, because he was, like, you know, a lot of people write him off as sort of this infallible American hero, and a lot of people write him off as sort of a bumpkin that loved killing Iraqi people. You know, it's not that cut and dry, and Bradley Cooper doesn't make it that cut and dry. He makes him a man who loves his country, which is good. That's, you know, countries need that, and... He also makes him a man that's dealing with a lot of dark things, and a lot of things that are really haunting to him, and that's you know, an unfortunate side effect of war. So I think the movie's actually pretty balanced. I don't think it's uh, quite the jingoism that a lot of people have been accusing it of, and I don't think it's quite the um, anti-war sentiment a lot of people would like it to be. I think it's just trying to tell a story of a guy who had some stuff happen to him, and it works really well. Um, it's It's not often that a movie is so strong in its performances that it makes up for everything else, but this is one that's definitely one of them. It's worth watching for the acting alone, especially Bradley Cooper's performance. Every time I watch a Bradley Cooper movie, I forget I like that guy. You know, he'll come out with something and I'll go, oh yeah, I'll probably see that eventually. And then he will, I'll watch it and I'll be like, why didn't I see this sooner? I love Bradley Cooper. He's so good. And this was the case with American Sniper. I didn't get around really to, to seeing it when it was sort of peaked at the, at the box office. And I, I did this weekend and man, it was good. It was real good. 
you know, I, I didn't like American Sniper. Uh, no, I did like American Sniper. I didn't like American Hustle that much, except for Bradley Cooper and Louis C.K. I thought Bradley Cooper was hands down the best part of uh, of American Hustle. I didn't really like Silver Linings Playbook that much, particularly Jennifer Lawrence's performance. I thought she was super overrated in that movie, but he was fantastic, and so was Robert De Niro. If it weren't for Robert De Niro, he would have been the best part of Silver Linings Playbook. He just makes every performance he turns in really... He owns everything he's in. He's super committed, and that I, I really appreciate that. You know, to be perfectly honest, I had read that um, Cooper had a, a, uh, acquired the rights to the book... And wanted Chris Pratt to play Chris Kyle, uh, understandably, because Chris Pratt actually probably looks a lot like Chris Kyle. Um, they're very similar heights, very similar builds. They have the same kind of shaped head and, and facial features. But Cooper decided to star in it himself, and I think that helped the movie a lot. I like Chris Pratt. I don't know if he would have owned the role as much as Bradley Cooper had been. And, you know, there's talk of Indiana Jones being rebooted with Chris Pratt. I'm still in the Bradley Cooper bandwagon. I know... When they had really started entering talks about rebooting the Indiana Jones franchise, they had mentioned Bradley Cooper being on the list, and I really, really like that idea. I think he can play a very roguish character really easily and really nicely, and he can grow a mean five o'clock shadow, and he's kind of like a, you know, like a dry, sarcastic, almost e-baggy, but not really sort of humor, which is kind of what you need for uh, Indiana Jones, and so... I would like to see him take on that role, but that's just me. So yeah, that's American Sniper. I would say if you're at all interested in seeing it, it's worth a watch. It's long, it's poorly paced, it's not super well shot, it's stilted in its dialogue, but its acting is so, so good. It's a masterclass in how to own, take ownership over a role. Alright, so the last before episode, I had decided to watch The Sting, and I expected to like it quite a bit. I mentioned that I very much like heist movies or con artist movies, and this is sort of the granddaddy of them all. A few weeks later after watching it, this isn't just the granddaddy of them all in terms of a con artist movie. This is the granddaddy of them all in terms of filmmaking. Like, this is such an incredible movie, you guys. Like, go, please, please, please go watch The Sting. Over any movie I've done so far, please do yourself a favor and watch The Sting. It's so good. Everything about this movie is firing on all cylinders at all times. It's The world building in it is incredible. I know you guys heard me talk about John Wick and the world building in that with the hotel and stuff. This amps it up to a whole nother... Like, this is something John Wick wish it could, wishes it could have done. It's It takes place in the 30s about these two con men trying to bring down this corrupt banker. And man... It's so, like, it's almost soaked in moonshine. Like, they might as well give you a drug with three X's on it when you buy it on Blu-ray. Because it's so steeped in that era. It feels like a 1930s picture. Like, it feels like an old-timey, big studio movie that people would have gone to see. Like, a big event film. And it came out in 1973? Something like that? And, you know, it, it just felt so old school. And, you know, it, it ended up winning seven Academy Awards because of that. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Editing, Best Music, and a Director's Guild of America Award for uh, directing for George Roy Hill. George Roy Hill directed um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, a much-beloved Western I think it's a little overrated. It might be because of the way it plays now, but it's it's okay. I, I, I like that movie, but 
this movie is perfect. It is a product of its time. It's so deliberately paced, but it's not wasteful in its pacing. I don't mind a slow movie if it's going towards an ultimate goal, and there's nothing in this film that doesn't seem like the goal isn't... There isn't forward momentum towards the ultimate goal, which is conning this banker. It's a long movie. It's a complicated movie. It's a dense movie. It's not really thematically super dense, but in terms of what's going on amongst the characters and the interplay between everything and all the moving parts to this con they've set up, it's really intricate and it's super elegant. And I love that. It just, it fits so nicely together. Like, if you take anything out of this movie, it doesn't work. It's got, it's a well-oiled machine of a film. And I love that. It's so good. The editing is so well done. The, The script is so tight. There's everything moves the plot forward. And that's something that we can take to heart in 2015. Everything needs to move the plot forward. You can't just throw filler in there until the next explosion. That's not how films are supposed to work. You know, this film is trying to tell a story about grifters in the 30s when it was the Depression and everything was bad and they're just trying to get by. And, you know, I mentioned on the before episode that it's weird because it makes you root for a criminal, but you really do, like, you're on the side of Robert Redford and Paul Newman because their they're friend died, because they're underdogs, because it's that time, because, you know, they're downtrodden and beaten down and they're just trying to make a way for themselves. And does acting get better than Paul Newman and Robert Redford? It does not. Um, these performances are so tight. Every single beat of this char- these characters is planned out and pre-planned and premeditated by these actors. And it's gorgeous to watch. It's, a, it's an acting masterclass. Uh, Robert Redford in particular is fantastic. He's extremely cocksure but very invulnerable very vulnerable i know it sounds like i said invulnerable uh very vulnerable and you know a little bit unsure of himself he's he's just trying to make it get by with his buddy and avenge his death a little bit uh the only way he know can he knows he can and it's it makes for an interesting character and that performance is so good um i was joking with a friend of mine today uh And I mentioned that um, Brad Pitt had this weird career trajectory where he had some really good early films, did a few crappy films, and then Kate decided to become Robert Redford and come back. And if you watch this movie and you don't see Brad Pitt's acting style melted all over Robert Redford's performance, you haven't seen a Brad Pitt movie in the last 10 years, I'm sure of it. Brad Pitt... See, it seems like Brad Pitt took some time off from acting to go study some Robert Redford movies and then came back and started acting like him because there are facial expressions that Robert Redford does where you're like, I've seen Brad Pitt do do that. They look exactly the same and it's freaky. It's so weird. And if you look up pictures of them, they look exactly like themselves at any age. It's super weird. Paul Newman is, he's Paul Newman. He's the best. He's, an, you know, he's a, a staple of 60s and 70s cinema. I mean... You know, he's he's the grizzled old veteran of, of con artistry, and he plays it really well. He's a little burnt out. He's a little bit of an alcoholic, but he's kind of understandably that way because life's kind of kicked him around, especially since the beginning of the Depression. Like, it's such a wealth. All these characters are so well thought out, and there's all these little tiny sub-characters that are very strong. A lot of the women are really strong characters. There's a couple twists that are really cool. Um... I will say, if you have seen the film Bandits, 
it's got the exact same ending. And that brings me to this point. I really liked the movie Bandits, but I hadn't seen The Sting. And it's it's the exact same ending. Like, if you've seen Bandits, you've seen the end of The Sting. And if you've seen Bandits, you know that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid love triangle makes itself present in that movie as well. And And I haven't done any research on it. But I'm almost positive the movie Bandit starring Bruce Willis with uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Kate Blanchett is an homage to George Roy Miller films. It has to be. It has so much in common with The Sting and Butch Cassidy that it's either a flagrant ripoff that no one noticed or seemed to care about, or it's an homage that is not a very good homage, it's just lazy filmmaking. Um, it made me like Bandits less because this was the first one. This is, you know, the one that did it. Speaking to the plan and the con they pull off uh, to pull the wool over this guy's eyes, it's fantastic. It's super complex. I can't get into the details of it here because you should watch the movie. But also because it's really complicated. There's so many moving parts. And where one movie would just con him with a poker game that he likes to play... This movie uses that poker game as a catalyst to get him to the even bigger con of the off-track betting. And it just, like, it uses momentum very nicely. There's things that other movies would have stopped at. This one says, no, this is all just a piece of the puzzle. Like, it's got to keep going to this inevitable end. It's got to finish big. And this movie finishes big. And when it's finished... It feels like an accomplishment. There's, It feels like you went on a journey with these characters and they accomplished their goal and they won. Like, it feels nice. It feels like a victory for the viewer when you do that. It doesn't feel like they're plot safe. Like, at no point did I feel like these guys were necessarily going to make it to the end of the movie. Um, you know, it, w- it, it would have made just as much sense if they had or hadn't. And that's that's cool. Like that's that's good filmmaking. It doesn't matter whether they they live or die. It matters whether they they come out and accomplish their goal. And if that would have been happened, that's that's all the reward they need. So the end is super satisfying because you've gotten through all this convoluted stuff and you've gotten to the payoff. And it almost feels anticlimactic, but it feels so climactic in its anticlimax. It's just like we're good. That's it. That's a wrap. Let's do it. Let's call it good. Um, I can't talk about this movie without talking about Marvin Hamlish's amazing score. Marvin Hamlish is super hit or miss. He's a huge composer from the 70s. He did the music to a chorus line. He did the music to this, and it was fantastic. He also did the music to The Spy Who Loved Me, and it's horrendous. So, you know, he's super well-respected now. I think he's hit or miss, but he knocks it out of the park on this. It's a lot of arrangements of Scott Joplin songs. It's very ragtimey. It's got a very... It helps contribute to that broken-in, lived-in feeling in the world. And the world feels a little grimy. Like, it doesn't look perfect necessarily all the time. It feels a little lived-in. And, you know, like, there's some there's some seedy underbelly going on even below this seedy underbelly you're, you're taking on. And it, it just feels like you spend two hours in this world, and I love that. You know, that's that's what a movie should be. A movie should be transportive. It should put you in a different world, even if it's a world from 80 years ago. I mean, that's the point, right? Like, isn't, isn't it escapism? Why not escape to a world not, you know, necessarily unlike our own? It's just a different point in history with better outfits. 
Um, amazing costume design lends itself to that. Amazing set design lends itself to that. Everything about this movie is so meticulous, but not in a forced way. It just feels like the right choice. Everything is the right choice in this movie. And it's amazing. You guys need to see it. That's The Sting. I don't know if I'm going to watch a better movie uh, while I'm doing this podcast. It's one of my all-time favorites almost immediately after viewing it. And it's going to be a while before I see it again. It's not a movie you watch over and over again because it's not a popcorn movie. It's a movie that you have to think about. It's a movie you have to take in and let sit with you. I'm pretty pretty excited that I got to do this two weeks after I saw it rather than a week after I saw it because I got to marinate in it a little bit more. And, you know, it, it is slow. It's not going to be for everyone. You'll think there's not a lot going on, but the payoff is worth it. Maybe you won't think the payoff is worth it, but try to view it in 2015 eyes. It's, a, you know, like I said, it's almost a little anticlimactic, but if you think about what's going on with these characters and what their ultimate goal is, it's really satisfying. When I watched it, I kind of didn't feel that way, and I was wrong. Like, you know, two weeks removed, it, it it's very satisfying. So go check out this thing. It's an awesome, awesome, it's a perfect movie. It's super well-constructed, top to bottom. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with this movie. It's the mo- one of the most perfectly executed films I've ever seen. Um, yeah, that's it. That's The Sting. Uh, I will talk to you guys later. Uh, if you want to email me with ideas for the show, recommendations, questions, comments, anything you want, before and after show at gmail.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at before n after pod. That's uh, at before the letter n after pod. And until next time, go watch something.